It's great to see you. Glad that you're here. Just to call attention again to the things that are coming up in August. Make sure you take some time. You know, we're in church. The announcements go by. And then you get out and you get to going through your week. But to mark your calendar, set those times. We truly want you as the local church to be blessed and, and uh, be a part of the services and be able to be in here. Uh, um, at the same time, when we bring somebody in that other people will come. Uh, if you just come late and then you don't get a seat, we don't see the same impact that we want. So we encourage you to set your calendars, the special dates that are there. Come so you can get a good seat and uh, really participate and partake in. It's going to be, I believe, uh, uh, for our community, people will come in. Uh, the church community, people will come in and uh, be a great blessing. But we want you all to be blessed and, and feel like uh, God is really doing something, as Pastor Tasha said. As if you know uh, and have been here, you know, in clear back in December, uh, instead of waiting till January, God had us to begin to pray. And, he, and during that time, said, I want you to pray into 2023 and 2024. And man, here we are almost three, over halfway done, going on three quarters done with 2023. And many things are different. Many things are changing. But uh, if you're praying into two years, there must be things that are setting up to come. And I believe that these meetings, uh, they'll be inspired meetings, they'll be Holy Ghost meetings, they'll be impartations. Uh, every single one of these have certainly a, a flow with the Holy Spirit, but they also have an evangelistic anointing upon their life so that we receive those in the, uh, the, the impartations. Uh, so that as we see that, we receive that, we're able to go out wherever we are and be bold to share. God's not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So that he can set up divine appointments. How do you believe in divine appointments? If we're following him, it says those who are led by the Spirit of God, they're the sons of God. Well, where is he going to lead us? He's going to lead us into places with people at certain times that are specific and put something on the inside of us to share the light of the gospel to those the enemy has blinded their minds, those who have been afflicted, those who have been wounded. And we carry, we carry the anointing. We carry the life of God. We carry the power of God in us. And so, you know, in order to get it to people out there, Praise God. We come into church to get filled up, equipped. Certainly, we see people born again here, but he's equipping us to send us out where we are. Yet so often, the church is timid, shy. I don't know if they'll like it or not. But really, it's not about us and whether they like us. It's about them being lost. And how will they ever have faith to make Jesus the Lord of their life if they don't hear? And how will they hear unless somebody tells them? That's what the Bible says. So he says, he says uh, uh, how beautiful are the feet. You should look down at your feet and say, man, you are beautiful. <laughs> of all the things to talk about beautiful, feet generally aren't what you would think would be beautiful. But he says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Good news. To somebody who's lost, dying, sick, bound. The good news of what Jesus has done for them. So sometimes it just takes an understanding of of how that works. And so we have uh, in these meetings, there'll be a little bit of an evangelistic uh, uh, flavor to it, uh, if you will. And so you want to come receive some of that. It'll, it'll give you, when you get an impartation, it'll give you some boldness uh, to share, right? And not think, you know, the world, the world doesn't, they, they don't have any problem sharing with people in the church what they believe. You ever heard anybody uh, just come up to you and tell you how they feel, what they believe about the church? But then we think, well, I can't share what I believe about them, uh, about the church, about what God says, you know. So they'll say, you know, they, people like to say, well, you know, uh, the church is a bunch of hypocrites. Well, that would be, that's sad that they view it that way. But the person who's telling you probably has his own problem with hypocrisy. We give a world, the world a pass on hypocrisy, but they're so hypocritical. Well, that church always judges while they go on judging the church. But why do they do that? They do that to put you back on your heels so you'll be timid about the true church. So that things happen. Have people been hypocritical in the church? Have people judge other people in the church? Sure. But so have they in the world. 
But they just say it with such force, it tries to knock us back and make us timid. Well, maybe I can't share with them. But if we really stood up and said, you know what, that's not the way it is everywhere. That's the way it is in the world. That's the way it is. But, but you know what? God's done something in Jesus Christ. We don't have to defend somebody's hypocrisy. We don't have to defend somebody's judgment. We defend Jesus. We don't really even have to defend Jesus. We just have to present Jesus and his love and his power to them. See, that's just a distraction to try to talk about what people are doing who profess to be so-and-so. You can't even really address that. You don't know that. But you certainly can present the love of Christ to them. Amen? So those meetings are important. Somebody say they're important. Say you don't want to miss those meetings. Say it again. You don't want to miss those meetings. And you want to invite somebody to come. Amen? Open your Bibles to Isaiah 26. Uh, this is a foundational text to a series of messages that we have entered into that I entitled, I Was Thinking. And uh, our thoughts, uh, our thought processes, not just what you think in any given moment that you could record, but your thought processes set up something that really Proverbs says that uh, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So he doesn't even really see, I know it's part of it, but he doesn't say as a man thinks in his mind, as he can process in his intellect, there's something about the mind that goes beyond your intellect. And so you begin to think in certain ways. And as you think in those ways, that's how you become. So, you know, somebody will say that person's real cynical. Well, how'd they become cynical? They started to think about things in a certain way. And as they thought, they became. Well, that person's really kind and generous. Well, how'd they become kind and generous? They had to start thinking in a way that was kind and generous. So as a person thinks in their heart. So it was a process of things. There were things that were put together. But many times we just let thoughts run. We don't understand what's being developed. And the sad thing about that is the enemy knows. He's working to build strongholds contrary to the obedience of Christ. So if we don't uh, know how our thoughts are processed, we don't pay attention to that, we don't give attention to the proper things, then we'll start to develop things and get to a place and an opinion about something, and we don't even know why we have that opinion, which then means the enemy has deceived us. There's no intention or purpose to what we think. Everybody just said that. And so there's some things, you know, that even have gone on, uh, you know, at certain points in time, we, we had some people go out and, and young people in the high schools were very against a particular person in the political realm, seeing something, started to ask questions. Well, why are you against them? Well, they do this kind of stuff. Have they ever done that to you? No. Tell me when they've ever done that. I don't know. They just do. Well, how do you know they do? They don't know. They were fed information that got them thinking a certain way, that put them in a certain place, and they didn't even know why they didn't like someone. And that's when it gets to be really quite critical, is when we have thoughts that determine how a person is based on information that has built up a stronghold, and so we can't even properly have relationships with people because we've already determined through a mindset how certain people are, and uh, we're not able to even give them an opportunity uh, to be what God's called them to be. And so Paul said it like this. He said, when we come into uh, the new creation, uh, we no longer know anybody after the flesh. Praise the Lord. In this room, we have, to, we have to live like that. In our community, we have to live like that. You can go into a big city, go to a church sometimes, and look around and, and never know anybody that was there. But here, some of y'all went to high school together. And you don't want to think back to those days. You don't want somebody looking over their shoulder when we're talking about things and going, yeah, mm-hmm, I remember when, yeah. No. We no longer have an opinion. We no longer let our mindset be like that. But we're, he says, we no longer know people after the flesh. For any man that be in Christ is a new creation. Old things have passed away. And now, somebody say now. Now, now behold, everything has become 
new and everything is of God who's reconciled us to himself. In other words, he said even the mindset that we have about people in God has to go away because he started something. Philippians says that the work that he began in you, the day that you made him Lord of your life, the work that he began in you, he'll be faithful to complete it. God's not finished with any of us yet, so we don't want to get set in this is just how a person is. We want to believe that God is working something far greater in them. Amen? So those ideas and those thoughts, uh, Isaiah chapter 26 verse 3 says, you will keep him, speaking of God, you will keep him in perfect peace. Somebody say perfect peace. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever. How long? How long? Forever. Not just trust in the Lord with this situation. I have a situation. God, I got to really build up faith to trust you with this situation. Trust you with this sickness. Trust you with this finances. Trust you. No, he says trust in the Lord forever. Why? Because he's talking about a mindset. He's not just talking about thinking about an instance. He's talking about a way of thinking, having your mind stayed on him. For Yah, the Lord, is everlasting. Somebody say everlasting. Everlasting strength. So it says if we trust him forever, then forever and everlasting, he will be our strength. The Amplified Classic says it like this. You will guard him and keep him in perfect and constant peace whose mind is both mind, both its inclination and its character. So your mind has inclination to go a direction, but there's also a character of your thinking. Hmm. Some people say, I just thought that I thought stuff. No, it goes down deeper, how that processes and goes. Who both its inclination and its character is stayed on you because he commits himself to you, leans on you and hopes confidently in you. So trust in the Lord, commit yourself to him, lean on him, hope confidently in him forever for Yah, for the Lord God is your everlasting strength. So we started out this year, you know, praying and, and, and Psalms, uh, I mean, Proverbs chapter three, verse five says, uh, uh, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not unto your own understanding in all your ways. Somebody say all your ways. All your ways acknowledge him and he'll direct your paths. We also went there to the 37th Psalm. It says, delight yourself in the Lord uh, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Commit your ways to him and he'll bring it to pass. Commit your ways to him. So in our society today, we have a little problem with commitment. But right here it says, you know what? When you get your mind stayed on him and you commit, right? Lean on, trust in him, right? He'll be uh, your everlasting strength. Amen. And so you need strength. And so as we've been talking about this, really, you know, some people, you know, this, a lot of young people come up to me and say, you know what, it'll help us if we know the why. Why should we keep our minds set on him? Well, so you can be kept in perfect peace. Well, what is perfect peace? That word is shalom, and it means completeness, soundness, welfare, safety, uh, health, prosperity, tranquility, and friendship. It's a packed word. So they used to greet one another with shalom. They still do shalom. Well, you know, if you just hear that, it's just like a greeting, like, hey, how you doing? But it's not, hey, how you doing? They had a covenant with God. They had peace with God, which meant they had peace. So they would come and greet one another with shalom. In other words, the peace of God be with you, which means when the peace of God is with you, health is with you, prosperity is with you, tranquility is with you welfare is with you, soundness is with you, maturity or completeness is with you. That's what peace is. When you lack those things, when you're sick, when you're poor, when you're, you're, you're stressed out, right? When, when uh, you feel like nobody loves you, everybody hates you, there's no peace in that. There's no peace in that. He said, but if you keep focused on me and everything I've done for you, all of a sudden in that thought process, the understanding of everything that I've done, because I've joined you in covenant, that we have peace, we have tranquility, we have relationship from that, everything flows from that place of peace when your mind is stayed on him. So we have to understand this, that the strategy of the enemy, I mean, you know there's an enemy out there. The strategy of the enemy is to get your mind off of him. 
to get your mind off of him and onto other people, to get your mind off of him and onto your circumstances, to get your mind off of him and onto your checkbook, to get your mind off of him and onto your body. And he never says he'll keep you in perfect peace, soundness, welfare, health, prosperity, you know, uh, friendship with him. He never says he'll keep you in all that stuff if your mind is on yourself, if your mind is on your checkbook. No, he says those other things really come when you are stayed on me because I'm really, really big. I'm really, really capable. I really, really am God. Right? So it's powerful. It's powerful. So just to cover this, we've been, we've been doing this, just want to give this to you. So we're talking about mindsets. What is a mindset? A mindset is a set of beliefs that shape how you make sense of the world and yourself. Yeah. It's a set of beliefs, things that have been built up that you believe about the world, about yourself, right? That start to build up. And these things influence how you think, feel, and believe in any given situation. So we can have any given situation. When you walk out of this building, if you gather around, you go poll three or four people. How they think about the message, what they got from the message, and how they perceived what I was saying will be different for a number of people. Why? Because how they hear it and it processes through a certain way of thinking will determine or influence that particular situation. It means that what you believe about yourself will impact your success or your failure. What you believe about yourself. What you believe about yourself. What you believe about what Christ has done for you and who you are in Christ. We can say, well, I believe in Jesus, but what do you believe about Jesus, right? There's a believing in. Well, I I believe in Jesus, but it, it goes bigger than that. What do you believe about Jesus, what he did for you? How is it impacting your life, your belief system? Right? There's something that God wants to open up to us. You know, uh, I shared a camp meeting uh, this past week in, in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and, and really our men's conference, God gave me a message for camp meeting. I, I shared the same thing with our men here, but uh, it was really about running our race from Hebrews chapter 12, and uh, I, I used an analogy from uh, the movie, uh, really the situation where Ford and Ferrari had their, their standoff, and, and Ford developed a whole new system or race car. But in the beginning of that movie, uh, uh, There's a narrative that goes on, and it talks about this racing. It talks about going through life. And he says it's 7,000 RPMs. There's something about 7,000 RPMs. And then he starts to talk about a breakthrough. You know, it's very much like that. God wants to bring us to a point of breakthrough. We talk about breakthrough, and and we, we wish we had breakthrough. We're stuck in areas of our life about breakthrough. God, just give us breakthrough. But there's something where we cooperate with God that we get to breakthrough. And so Mark Hankins uses this analogy. He uses the analogy of, uh, uh, um, oh, what's his name? I, I just lost. Uh, what? Chuck Yeager. Yeah. I don't know why I got Greg Yeager in my head, but I knew it wasn't right. Chuck Yeager, when he broke the sound barrier, these pilots had kept going and they would get right up against the speed of sound and it would feel like the plane was going to come apart and they were, you know, uh, they would back off and, and they never got there. But then he broke the sound barrier. Boom. Everybody thought, you know, he might've exploded in air, but he comes through and then he landed and they said, well, how was that? And he said, it was like sipping lemonade on the front porch. Right, so very much like this, people, there's things in the world, there's analogies in the world. So he's doing this narrative, and he says at 7,000 RPM, there's a place at 7,000 RPM, there's a breakthrough at 7,000 RPM where all of the mechanics and all of uh, the, the, the car that you're in and everything just seem to go away, and you're a body floating through space and time. And he pauses, and he says, the real question is, Who are you? The real question, when things come in and they begin to come against us, we begin to move at the speed of life every single day. It seems like everything's going by so fast and now I'm going to start serving God and there's all this stuff on top of that and we're moving through this like crazy and my life feels like it's about to shake apart and I don't know, most people, most Christians back off. And they think they're laying aside stuff that besets them, but usually they sit down concerning what God is doing. 
And really there in Hebrews chapter 12, when it says about that race and laying aside the sin and the weight which so easily ensnares you, he's talking about a runner. And he says a runner can never figure out what weight he has to put off or what hindrances to his race by sitting still. In other words, until you engage in your race and begin to move forward, you actually don't know how much weight you have to set aside. So if you're sitting on the couch watching TV and you decide, you know what, I've accumulated some weights in different places, but you know what, I'll just get up and lay aside those weights. Well, you don't know what, what weights until you start moving. You start exercising. You're like, dear Lord, have mercy. I put on a little bit more weight than I thought. Man, your muscles start hurting in certain areas and you're like, holy cow. How did I get so out of shape? Well, you didn't even know you were out of shape while you were sitting still. You only started to realize once you started moving. There's so many Christians sitting still, listening to messages, watching YouTube, doing all kinds of things, and they're accumulating, and they don't, you know, and then they get distracted in the world, but we're just sitting there. He says, if you'll get up and start to run your race, if you'll start to process and put out of your mind these different things, you'll, you'll realize what's hindering you in your race, what thoughts, what's imaginations. Not all of them are bad. They're just distraction from the truth, and they hinder you that once you get moving, you're like, I can't afford to have that thought process. I can't afford to let that weigh me down. I've got to put it off so I can run effectively my race. And the thoughts are going to come. Oh my God, how hard is this? It's going to try to discourage you in your soul. He says, then consider Jesus. What did Jesus do? Consider him who went through such hostility of sinners. Praise the Lord. The Message Bible says it like this. He says, once you consider everything that Jesus went through day to day, day by day, and you actually think about it, it'll shoot adrenaline into your soul. So thinking, woe is me. Why am I doing this? You consider Jesus, that he went to the cross. Right? And sometimes we read that and we think, well, Jesus, he went to the cross because he saw the joy. He saw me getting saved, and that was so joyful that it sent him to the cross. Well, really, you know, you can look at it that way, but when you actually see what they were saying right there, is it actually says that Jesus, who was at the right hand of the Father. How many of you know that there uh, is joy in the presence of God? There's joy in the presence of God. It actually more literally says that Jesus set aside the joy that had forever been before him to come to the earth and, earth and die for you. Instead of saying, I can do this because they're going to get saved, he said, I'll set aside the joy that is there right now at the right hand in the presence of God to go down there and give my life to save them. So we always think, what's in it for me? And so when we look at that and say, well, it was the joy before, there was something in it for Jesus. That's why he did it. So what's in it for me? No, Jesus had no guarantee of what was in it for him. He went ahead and said, I'll set aside the joy at your right hand to come be with man and run my race. And the result was the salvation of men. There's something for us to understand what he gave for us. Not thinking, wow, I was really something. I was really a prize for him to get. No, he set aside everything in heaven to come save our life. Which brings me to this place that I was thinking. I was thinking. I don't know if you were thinking this week, but I was thinking this week. And what I was thinking is how much God loves me. How much God loves me. It's so powerful. It's so incredible when you actually think how much God loves you. Karl Barth was a, a great theologian. He had many different writings and stuff. And he was in a college, uh, he was doing a college lecture about the word of God and, and theology and all that. And somebody came up to him afterwards and he said, through all of your writings, through all of, what, 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 what would you say is the culmination of all of your works? And he said, Jesus loves me, this I know. Somebody else told me later the conversation went further and they said, well, what, what, what was the deal? What was the main part of that? And he said, this I know. Jesus loves me. This I know. 
Sounds like a kid's song, but this I know. Not this I know about, this I know. So I was thinking how much God loves me. What I wasn't thinking is, uh, now, if God loves me, then why are these things happening in my life? See, sometimes people know God loves them, but they begin immediately to think about God's love, and because of their mindset, they're off track. Well, then if God loves me, you're saying God loves me, but if God loves me, why is this happening in my life? If God loves me, why did that happen? If God loves us, then why is this stuff going on? Or maybe, you know, we get to that thinking of, you know, maybe God loves Paige more than he loves me. Because, I mean, look at how fantastic her life is going, and my life's not going that fantastic. But I know God loves me. I just think maybe he loves her more. I know none of you have ever thought this way, but you'll probably run into somebody who has. So I'm equipping you for work of ministry. Or I know God loves me, but you know, maybe he'd love me more if I stopped doing some of the things I'm doing. That would win his greater affection. Or I know God loves me, but maybe he'd love me more if I started doing thus and such better. And we think we're thinking how much God loves us because of the mindset that's been developed somewhere in our life through something that's taken place or through somebody in our life. We're hindered about thinking simply, He loves me. Oh, how He loves me. With everything that I am, the whole package that I bring, He loves me. When I was dead in my trespass and my sin, He loved me before I ever knew Him, before I accepted Him. He still loved me. Wow. I didn't have to earn it. He loved me. But there's always that thing that the enemy brings in. Turn over to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. This is why we have to understand how our thought process and how we think. One minister said it like this. The mind is actually the arena of faith. So the devil, he can't get down in your spirit if you're born again. God lives there. God's not cohabitating with the devil. He's not cohabitating there. So where does the enemy start to work? In your mind, in your thoughts. In that process. So it says, now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. So you have to understand this. He's, he's been around for generations and generations. He knows how to start pulling on your thinking. He knows how to plant thoughts. He knows exactly where to plant thoughts. What to bring to your mind to begin to question. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? So he knew a few things. He was searching. He was trying to understand what she knew, what she believed, how she was there. So he brings this this thought to her. Did God say you couldn't eat? Why would God say you couldn't eat everything? Didn't God say don't eat any tree? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden. Certainly we can eat them. But there's one fruit, the tree which is in the midst of the garden. God has said you shall not eat it or touch it lest you die. Wow. So she had it pretty right on. She was thinking, right, I I, I can eat whatever. I just can't eat this. But he came back. Then the serpent said to the woman, you'll not die. For God knows in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be open. And you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So the devil lied to her and told her God was a liar told her God didn't care about her, that God was withholding something from her instead of giving to her. Yet God had created everything in the whole earth to give them. Yet there was one thing that would kill them that he said, 
without you making a choice, then there is no freedom. There is no depth of relationship. You're going to have to make a choice to not eat that, to trust me and know how much I love you by what I've given you. And she still got to thinking, oh, God might not love me. God might be trying to keep me from experiencing something. We see that throughout our world. We see this and understand this. All throughout the scripture, the Bible says to flee sexual immorality. Well, we came in our country upon the sexual revolution in the 60s. And, and the enemy started to tell young people, God's just trying, religion's just trying to keep you from enjoying all of this stuff that God created you this way. And he's trying to keep you from something. Divorce over doubled since the sexual revolution. Pornography has gone through the ceiling. Child trafficking for sexual... We're looking at it and we're like, my God, we got to do something. But you can't let sexual immorality run rampant and think you're just going to capture sex trafficking. He came to the core and he said, obey me, don't partake of what's not yours. Don't partake of what I didn't give you. I've set marriage there. I'll give you a wife. I'll give you a husband. And you can partake of all that I've created you to do. You can be fruitful. You can be multiplied. Enjoy it. But the devil came and said, why would you just stick with this one thing God gave you when you can be enjoying all of this? And we bought into the lie and decided we knew better than God and it's creating death and destruction all around us. Yet, because the enemy does that, he, he makes people, well, that's not really it, that's not it. And you know, no, God wants us to know. But all this starts to happen, and then we start to go, look at all that's happening. Does God even love people? We've made our own choices about these things that God said don't get involved in, and then it's turned out with a bad result. And we're like, well, if God loves us and God is real, why is all this happening? Because you made your own choice. We believe the devil. We believe that God really didn't love us in what he was saying, that he was trying to keep us from enjoying life. But God knew how he created us, and he really loves you. And he doesn't want you to give your body to a bunch of people knowing it'll destroy you, not just physically, but mentally and emotionally. It'll mess you up. And if you've been there, there's no condemnation. Thank God for the blood of Jesus. But studies, I'm not preaching religion, studies. Man, people's mind takes pictures when they have sex. They're bound by stuff that they've entered into before. Thinking that's not bad. But it's created an avenue that's working ill. But the enemy said, no big deal. God just doesn't want you to enjoy it. Putting a question, does God... Love me, does God really love me? See, we've come into that place that if God loved me, God would just agree with me. God would want me to feel God. God would want me to be happy. We forgot the admonition that says, whom a father loves, he corrects. And we've got into that place that the moment somebody corrects us, we determine they don't love us. Because if they loved us, they would love everything that we're doing. But if they really love you, they don't love everything that you're doing. And they try to help you grow and mature by bringing correction so that you can understand. But we shut things off. You know, when I was about 11 years old, my dad, uh, uh, I, I came to the age where we, we played little league ball at that time. And so in order to get into the major leagues, you had to try out. <clears throat> if, your, if your dad was a coach, you didn't really have to try out. You could just be on his team. And so my dad knew that, uh, he, he knew how I played on a regular basis, so he wanted me to have one more year to prepare, uh, so he let me go into the draft, and so uh, figuring, you know, I would play like I normally did, but I had an incredibly good tryout. Any skill that I had all came to the surface at once. So I had a really good tryout, and so after the draft, my dad had to come home, and he wasn't all that happy because he had to explain to me now why I was going to play against him instead of play on his team. Somebody else drafted me. So in that process, even at 11 years old, I'm wondering, well, God, Dad, why didn't you draft me? Do you not see my talent? Do you not love me? Oop. But in all reality, 
he loved me enough that he wanted me to go further and higher and not cut a corner in a way that he thought would develop me better. We see that all throughout our culture today. If we're not careful, we start to determine and let the enemy say, what did they say? Well, they said just wait a little bit and develop that. No, that's not what they said. They said you're not able. They said you're not capable. They said you can't do that. And so we quit and we determine someone doesn't love us. God doesn't love us. We come up with phrases like this. Nobody wants to know how much you know until they know how much you care. But you're not looking at how much they care. You're looking at how much you feel. Because a lot of times people put a lot of money and time and effort into sharing with you what they know, but you want a feeling. And the Bible says when you reject knowledge and wisdom, you're just stupid. So it sounds great, like I get that. Don't tell me unless you care. But all of a sudden we miss wisdom that's coming because we don't know if people care or not based on how we feel. Why? Because the enemy is constantly keeping us from really understanding the love of God. We begin to think, if God loves me, if that person loves me, they would do exactly what I want them to do. But it's not if they love me, maybe if God loves me. It's, I'm so thankful he did love me. Why? Because you might not feel like he cares by your circumstances, but he already cares. Oh, how he loves you and me. He gave his life. What more can he give? What more can Jesus do to prove to you that he cares? I don't know. He hasn't done anything for me lately. He doesn't have to do anything for you lately. He did it all in his death, burial, and resurrection. He gave everything. He said, if you could get your mind on that, Oh, how much he loves me. How much he loves me. How much he loves me. Why doesn't the devil want you to think how much God loves you? He doesn't want you to think that because it's all about value. And so we get to the point of comparing and saying, well, that person rejected me or that person didn't let me do that or that person didn't do that or God didn't do that. And then we start thinking, they treated me that way. I don't deserve that. Well, God didn't come through when I wanted to. I don't deserve that. I deserve much better. And then all of a sudden what we deserve, we start getting to the plate. Somebody starts telling you the righteousness of God. Oh no, I'm not worthy. And he spins a cycle with us. But being worthy and being deserving are two totally different things. Being deserving is a work of the flesh. I've done this. I've showed this. I deserve better. Well, thank God we're not getting what we deserve. We all deserve hell, but we're getting grace. But what God wants you to do is know how much he loves you, how much he poured out for you, how much he paid for you, so that all of a sudden, I am worthy. Oh, there you go. That self-righteous stuff. No, it's not self-righteous. He made me worthy. Oh, you think you're so worthy? You have to understand the word means worth. Worthy. That's what it means. When we worship God and say, you are worthy, we are saying, I place worth above my feeling that I want to sit here and not raise my hands, but you're worth me raising my hands in praise and surrender. Well, you don't know, I had a bad day. He's not worth you breaking out of your bad day to acknowledge what he did. That's what you're saying. You're not worth me getting over myself. And then we wonder, why are we stuck in these attitudes? Because we never broke out and said, you're worthy. But when we realize he's worthy, why is he worthy? Because he gave everything for me. Oh, I'm saying you're worthy. But all of a sudden, I have a light and a revelation that you've made me worthy. My value can feel like it's something if you acknowledge me. But knowing he acknowledged me gives me the value to take me through when you don't. Because I know he loves me. He values me. And he gave his life for me. So when we begin to think, oh, how he loves me. John 3, 16 for God so loved me 
that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. He's, he loved me so much to give me everlasting life. I'll not see destruction. I'll not see the corruption that comes to those who die without him, but I'll live forever with him and in his presence. Why? Because I did something super great? No, because he loved me. Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 1, I was dead in my trespasses and sins. I was afar off from God because of what Adam did and my sin apart from God. But even though I was apart from him, even though my, my life was being shoved by the course of this world, that the enemy wanted it to go, God, who's rich in mercy, in order to satisfy his great love for me, he sent Jesus to die for me so that I could be saved by his grace, my faith in him. Man, he loved me so much. Turn over to 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. He said, behold, stop, take a look at. Not just, oh, I thought for a minute, but think about it. For a long time, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that he should call us children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. We're trying to get the world to know us. The world won't know you if it didn't know him. But you know him and he knows you. And he's got a plan for you right here in this world. We shouldn't give so much attention to them knowing us, but to him knowing us. He said he knew us enough and he made us children of his. He said, if we'll just believe that and know that he loves me. Well, pastor, I know that he loves me. But there's some things you don't understand. No, I didn't say know that he loves you, but... Come on, take some time this week. We said, how do you break out of a fixed mindset? Taking the challenge. Take the challenge to think about how much God loves you. Just how much God loves you. Not if he loves you, why he loves you, how he loves you, what did you do to earn love. No, just how much he loves you and get on the inside. Get it down on the inside. Get it down on the inside. Get it down on the inside. He loves me no matter what. He loves me no matter what. He loves me no matter what. It'll change your thinking. I studied the love of God in Bible school and I came here to start working in the church and it shocked me. I'm just telling you, it shocked me when I started finding out people didn't like me. It shocked me. And after 31 years of pastoring, people insist on me knowing when people don't like me. It will change your mindset. I still wonder, like, why don't people like me? Seriously, with all my heart, I'm not trying to defend myself. I'm just telling you where you're at when you're like, really? What's going on here? They don't like you because I'm just here doing my best to bring the word of God because I love you. And if I stepped on some toes or did something, I'm sorry, I didn't know that, but man, they all of a sudden go, they don't like you because and you're, it's, it's flowing around. Somebody told me the other day, I told people when they start talking about Pastor Mark and New Creation Church, then your mind just goes like, well, what are they talking about? And so in all that, you just got to go, I'm going to get in my closet. Jesus, you love me. You love me. And when you get to that point, when you get back there, you're like, and so you love me. So I bet everybody else has to love me. If you run around thinking about people not liking you, it'll mess you up. I'm just telling you, you get your mindset on how many people don't like you instead of do like you, it'll change how you behave. It'll change what you're able to do. It'll cause a spirit of fear to come all over you that I can't do anything because it'll make somebody not like me. You got to get to the point of God loves me. 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 Even if somebody else doesn't, God does. And he loves you. And he loves you. He loves you so much that he made you his child. His child. And through that, he wants to give you everything. Every good thing. Every good thing comes down from the Father of lights, in whom there's no variation, there's no shadow of turning. He just loves you so much, he wants to give you stuff, because he loves you, right? Isn't that awesome? It's just so awesome. Some people might like, probably not everything. All of a sudden, you clicked over into a different mindset. God's not going to give you any bad thing. We're not even thinking that. 
He loves me. Why would he give me a bad thing? Why would I be thinking when I say everything, he's going to give me something bad? Why would I think that? Because I'm thinking how much he loves me. And when I think how much he loves me, I think of all the good things he's going to give to me. But somebody's mindset clicks over. Oh, that can't be right. He won't give you everything. But see, if you go down the road that God won't give you everything, pretty soon he won't give you anything. And you forget how much he loves you. Do you see how important these mindsets are? Do you see how important these mindsets are? Because we're about to step into a moment. We're about to step into a period of time where it's you moving through space and time. It's you feeling like you're going to come across. And now I got the knowledge of the love of God and boom, everything opens up. And now what you were saying, if God loves me, why is all this stuff happening? All of a sudden, in the understanding of the love of God, it goes And now you see, I made some decisions back here Other people made some decisions, and that's why this is happening, not because God loves me or doesn't love me, that's why. When it's going like this, like, oh, I can't deal with it, why is this happening? God must not love me if it... But all of a sudden, when you know God loves you, he goes, now let me show you why it's happening. I've loved you all along, and I've given you direction. But because of your insecurity, because of your fear, because of your self-promotion, because of those things, you made decisions that put you in a place that allowed the enemy to create destruction and trouble. So I want you to know that your sons and your daughters, I want you to know how much I love you because the depth of this relationship is in knowing how much I love you. First John chapter 4, I'm getting ready to close. Verse 16, listen to this. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. We have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love takes up the residency, lives every day continuously in love. God lives in them, God in him, and him in them. Love has been totally matured in this among us. In other words, when you know that, that when you know the love of God for you and you live in it every day, you don't doubt it, you don't go, oh, I live in it every day, then you realize, wow, God's come to live in me. As Paul told the Ephesian church or prayed for them, I realize I'm filled with the fullness of God. He loved me so much, he's not way out there in heaven, he lives in me. And through the knowledge of his very character, love, he lives in me and I in him. He said when that is matured in us, he said that we may have boldness. So when that's matured in us, we may have boldness in the day of judgment. In the day of judgment. Now there's a big picture that when we stand before him at the judgment seat of Christ that we'll have boldness. But if you look at that word in the Greek, it's the word crisis, but it means decision. Decision. So it says, listen, when we know that we live in God and God lives in us, we are going to come to some very critical decisions. Very critical decisions. But we have boldness and confidence in our decision making because we abide in love and love abides in me. So Paul prayed for the Philippian church. He said, I pray that your love would abound yet more and more in knowledge and all discernment that you may approve the things that are excellent so you might be sincere and without offense till the day of Jesus Christ producing fruit of righteousness. So this love of God becomes a place of relationship and depth of relationship that our decision making isn't about us. It's not out of fear. It's not out of self-promotion. It's not out of insecurity. It's rock solid. Things have opened up. I see that everything works together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Right now, this decision, I'm being pressured to make it for myself, but God is saying something different, and I realize and trust that God has my best interests at heart. So when he says no, I say no. Yeah, but it's not going to, this would be a shortcut. No, but God's going to bring me through. I know it. I know it. I know God loves me. I know God's bringing me through. This is a challenging decision, but I don't just make it based on me. I make it based on abiding in love and love abiding in me. So he said, listen, this is this decision making because as he is, so are we in this world. So there's got to be a connection to decision making right now because he's not talking about judgment in heaven. He says, as he is, so are we in this world right now. 
There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out all fear. Because fear involves torment. The enemy will come and try to get you afraid. Afraid that you're, God's leaving you out. Afraid that God doesn't want you to do that because he's, got, he's withholding from you all kinds of insecurities. He said, but that perfect love, that mature love, casts out all fear, all insecurity, all uh, uh, apprehension. So God's not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. That love works in you, soundness of mind, seeing direction. It's powerful. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. He who fears has not made perfect in love. And you can just hear it in the room. Oh, no, wait a minute. People are still going to get afraid, Pastor. Come on, people are going to... See, we do that. We let our mindset go. We let the enemy go. Did he just say, no, you won't fear if you just get love? Really? You think that'll work? People are afraid. He's talking about something deeper, and it's true. Don't let your mind go there. Perfect love casts out all fear. Perfect love casts out all fear. God's not giving me timidity. Perfect love casts out all fear. Perfect love casts out all fear. Why would I want to think about how much God loves me? Why would I want to think about how much God loves me? Why would I want to think about God, how God, much God loves me? Why would I, rather than thinking about how much God loves me, why would I want to think about how much this person doesn't like me? Why would I want to spend all day thinking about how much this other person does not like me when I could be thinking about how much God loves me? But it's simple. Why? Because the enemy is subtle. He'll make it make sense. Why you need to think about how much they don't like you. Why you need to feel sorry for yourself. Why you need to take an offense. Why you need to be mad at them. Why you need to protect yourself. Why would I need to protect myself if he is my rock, my fortress, my shield, my buckler, in him I put my trust. Why would I need to think of all these ways I have to protect myself from all of them? See, it's a mindset that he'll shift if we could just think about. Just think about how much he loves me. So I was thinking, isn't it wonderful how much God loves me? Just thought I'd share that with you so maybe this week you could think about how much God loves you. How much God loves you. And then I was thinking, I'll have to tell you that next week. Why don't you stand up? I believe there's people here that if I ask you, you would say, I know that God loves me. In fact, some people here are like this, what a boring message, I already know this, yet you're struggling in life. You're struggling in life because even though you know it, you haven't given it the attention and your mindsets have drawn you away from the true knowledge of how much God loves you. With every head bowed and every eye closed. If you're here today and you say, listen, I, I've had that, that issue. I know God loves me. I've been saved. But I go back to all those other things about why things are happening. And I really question the depth of God's love for me because of things that have happened. Nobody's looking. Raise your hand as a point of your faith. I want to pray for you. I believe God wants to meet you right there. I see that hand, that hand, that hand. We're going to pray for you and believe God right now. Put your faith out there. Believe God. Father, right now, for these who have raised their hand, there's so many different ways to make contact of our faith. You could come up front, lay hands on people, or just say, I'm going to, I'm going to step out. I'm going to move my body, raise my hand, and say, I'm looking, I'm looking to you, God. I'm looking to you right now. So as these raise their hand and say, I'm looking to you, they're not looking to me, God. They're looking to you. So I thank you right now for every hand raised. Holy Spirit, you meet them right now. That for this moment, to begin to change this thought, this question of whether you love them fully or not, the power of that would be broken right now right now in Jesus name the power of that thought 
the little if, the little question would be broken. God, that there would be a manifested outpouring of your love and the knowledge of your love that would come upon them. That they would know the love of Christ that passes knowledge, that passes question. They would experience a touch from heaven, a touch from you. Experience and embrace. Paul said, I want to get a hold of what got a hold of me. He had an embrace from heaven that he just turned back and embraced in kind. Give them that embrace right now to remove all question, all doubt of how much you love them. Throughout this week, their meditation will be how much you love them. And from that point, now you'll be able to do. Now you'll be able to do. As your word says, now unto him, after we've comprehended, after we've laid hold of, now unto him who's able. Now you're able to bring them to a great walk of faith and joy, peace, goodness, like never before. Thank you, Lord, for touching each one that raised their hand, poured out upon them. Thank you, Lord. It's an extension of their faith. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. For your great love for us. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. We have one more thing we want to do this morning. Thank you for hanging with us. Glory to God. Hallelujah. So good. God's so good. God's so good. Amen. Amen. Uh, Jason and Brittany Razor and their family, um, they've been with us, served faithfully for many, many years. And Brittany, since she was a teenager, and Jason came over and he, he was serving in a church in Parachute. And found out we had night service, came over very first I think very first Sunday night that he came over, he, he pulled me aside. Hey, buddy, how are you? You can stand right up here with me. That'd be all right. Okay. All right. I'm Praise the Lord. Is it all right if I sit next to you? All right. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, can, can I share your microphone with you? Can you share a microphone with me? Yeah. Um, in just a minute, I'll, I'll let you share a microphone. And uh, so I'm going to talk about your dad and mom in just a little bit and then then we'll pray, and then I'll give you a microphone. How's that sound? All right. And so, you know, he came uh, really that very first Sunday, grabbed me, he said, Pastor, I want you to know, I'm asking, actually, I'm asking your permission. I go to a, a different church in Parachute, but I'm wondering if I can come here on Sunday night. So he came on Sunday night and, and uh, continued to move, took Bible school, and then he met Brittany, and uh, they got married. And, in Bible school. In Bible school, and uh, they ended up getting married and serving here, and they feel a pull uh, back to that same church to help that church that he came out of and be a part of that. And so we believe in equipping the saints for the work of ministry, and so uh, and it's and we talked about it. it's in our valley, and they come to different things. They'll still be here, fellowship with us at different times, but they're going to put uh, what they know and their effort into helping there. And so we want to send them out with grace, with love. Amen. And uh, it's always so important that we do that as people look around and say, well, what's going on there? Well, God's doing something there. And we believe in that. We believe in them. And so, um, praise the Lord. You don't want to stand up here. We're, we're going to pray for you. Tasha, if you come and help me to pray. Here, bring that microphone. Praise the Lord. Praise All right, so we're going to pray for you. And then afterwards, I'm going to give it to you. And you can thank everybody for praying for you, all right? All right, all right. Father, we thank you right now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Father, we thank you so much for faithful servants. We thank you for your great love that you have for Jason, Brittany, the boys, the family. The great love you have for the people in parachute. God, that you've anointed them, equipped them for a season of their life now to impart and to help, to serve in a different location but to serve you, to serve your body in a powerful way. So, Father, we just thank you right now. We pray over them, anointing, grace, strength, ability. 
that clarity of mindset. Father, if the enemy comes and attacks them about decisions, there's a clarity. They'd be strong in you and in the power of your might, able to stand against every strategy the enemy would bring so that they might fulfill what you've called them to do in this season. We embrace them. We thank you that they're part of this body. They'll continue to be part of your body. Father, we just thank you for your goodness and your mercy. A great grace, a great grace, great boldness, Father. The ability to praise, to worship, to draw in, to declare the truth to a people. We thank you, Father, for their strength, upholding the arms of leaders. They might fulfill the vision and the function you've called them to. So we thank you. We send them out with grace, anointing. We send them out with the love of this local church body. They might fulfill all that you've called them to do. We thank you for it. We thank you for grace for the boys. Father, they're learning and they're growing in everything that you have for them. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Why don't you thank the people for praying for you? Um, thank you for the, um, the sound of God. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Thank you, buddy. Thank you, buddy. We're going to ask them to, to go out. We're going to ask them to go out in the foyer, if you will, and line up and uh, hug their neck, uh, shake their hand, give them thanks for all that they've done. They have affected so many things. The youth, your, some of your youth were affected by their ministry. Uh, They've really been a, a vital part. Their first front, greeting people coming in. So we so appreciate you. And I uh, believe God's got great things in the next step. Amen. So they're going to go out there. We're going to let them get out and, uh, and go by and make sure you hug their neck and uh, bless them. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. All right. Say this as we go. What God did in Christ Jesus? Fark seeds. Any damage done to me? By Adam's fall. You can be dismissed. Make it a great day. <laughs> yeah, that was not what I was. Praise the Lord. Thanks. <laughs>